Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain and I am on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. I created this podcast to give a voice to passionate small and medium entrepreneurs around the world. I hope that the stories, practical tips and advice my guests share will inspire you to better navigate your own entrepreneurship journey. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today I am with Nicolas Hinrichsen, founder of withclutch.com, a digital platform to refinance auto loan located in the US. Hi Nicolas, thank you very much for joining me today. Hello, thanks for having us, or me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. So just start by telling us a little bit about you and uh, your journey. Yeah, wonderful. So um, I'm originally from Germany. I was born and raised in Germany. I went to college in Germany. I used to play on the golf national team. So I used mm -hmm. to be more or less an athlete, decided wow. to not turn pro, um, finished college, and then ended up moving to the US in 2011 to go to business school in Stanford. Right. While at Stanford, I was hoping to find something like an idea or a space or an area to start a new company. Um, was a little frustrated because I was looking, looking, and didn't find anything. But towards the end of business school, a good friend of mine and classmate and I teamed up and we ended up starting a digital platform to sell autos, like cars online. Think of Amazon for used cars. Mm. And so leaving the school, we, we basically sell, sold our, all our classmates' cars. So we put them on classified pages, took photos, went on test drives. Um, that was that was the same time all our other classmates were getting all these really high paid jobs in consulting and banking. Mm. <laughs> so we had chosen a different career path, clearly. We ended up raising money, went through Y Combinator, raised the, changed the model a little bit, uh, raised a total of $10 million and sold the company four years later to Carvana. Oh, wow. Carvana is now the most valuable online car retailer in the, in the US. Wow. That's a crazy story. This is a uh, super fast growth. Uh, yeah, I made it sound easy and short. <laughs> it was a lot and painful. Yeah, I'm sure there's way, there's way more like that. But, but first, tell me, what, how did you know you had the entrepreneurship virus? Um, so I think there, that has a lot to do with what your parents do, like the story your parents tell you and the life you see your parents live. My, my dad is a dad is a gynecologist, mm. specialized in fertility treatment, and so he was he worked in the university clinic in Munich for a long time, but then became self-employed and had his own practice. Um, and I, that was I was how old was I? I was uh, ten when he started being self-employed, and so I, I just saw him work a lot and come home sometimes happy, but sometimes upset, but mostly fulfilled. And so he, he kept telling me, oh, this is the funnest part ever because you have your own company, you're on your, your own boss. You also have upside. So you, when the company makes more money, you participate. And so he, he somewhat laid the foundation for what I think later on became my, my drive to do something myself. The other thing I did while, while at school and college and after, I, I probably did five or six internships I ended up joining a young company that invested in renewable energy projects right after college, mm. worked there for two years. Um, none of these things was anything that I really, really, really enjoyed. So every time I kept looking and started something else or looked into something new, 
I, I, it didn't feel super fulfilling. And so mm-hmm. when we started and ran our own company, it was the first time when I felt like, oh, this is really cool. I feel like if I work harder, it makes sense. I feel like I can make decisions and I make mistakes and learn quicker. And so I just felt much more fulfilled. And so that, that mirrored what my parents had told me about their entrepreneurial journey. You graduate, you create a company immediately after, or immediately after even, even while you were at the university. And then four years later, you sell, you sell it. Yeah. How can you explain such a fast <laughs> success? So yeah, all these stories look very different from the outside and they, they, they actually played out. So here's what happened. We, at first, we didn't think this was going to be a company. We spent right. the summer selling our classmates' cars at learning. And then I remember I had a meeting, like an hour-long catch up with a professor, a professor, a lecturer, a friend and a mentor of ours and told him now that the summer is almost over, I need to figure out what I do with my life. Like I need, I need to figure out whether I want a job or start a company. And so I ended up telling him about how we sell cars. Mm. And after an hour, he said, Hey, I'm sorry, I need to go. Um, I think you already made your decision. I think you should be selling cars. And if you want to make this a business, here's $50,000 to get started. <laughs> I'm like, what? Just like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. A, you know, he he started in his own. He started Benchmark Capital, like one mm-hmm. of the best in, uh, VC funds in the valley. He was the first investor in eBay. Now he runs a company himself called Wealthfront, um, mm-hmm. and so that's his form of giving back. Um, and also, like he's super wise. So every minute that we get to spend with him, we learn something. But he felt like, oh, these guys are hustling. They really want to do something. His normal advice is to join a very fast-growing company. But in our case, he said, no, no, you should start a company. And so since we had him as the first investor, we then were able to raise a lot of money from other professors and lecturers who said, oh, Eddie Recklerson, I'll invest as well. Wow, okay. <laughs> and so that's how like the snowball unfolded a little bit. We ended up raising... million from professors and lecturers. Mm. Then we ran the business for nine months or so. Went through Y Combinator. That's this uh, very well-known startup accelerator program. Raised another 800,000 after that. And then changed the model. We were doing, we started out this peer-to-peer business where I would help you, Laurent, send your car to somebody else. Mm. That has a few flaws because you're dealing with two people who don't understand stand cars very well who are very price sensitive so the seller always wants more for the car than it's worth and the buyer is so price sensitive he'll just haggle forever mm. and if, if a deal happens it always feels like you disappointed both of your customers so that's not a good value proposition instead we found that there's institutions who are sitting on thousands and thousands of cars and so we started selling cars or advertising cars that were owned by institutions and that was the model that worked much better and so nine months later, we, we raised Series A that was $8 million. So we had, to, yeah, at the time, we had raised a total of 10 then. Ran the company in that model for two years. And then actually got stuck because we thought we were building a software company. But after two years, we realized in order to sell cars, what you really need to do, you need to build a lot of operational infrastructure. Mm. And that doesn't scale very well. And so... We talked to our investors and talked to ourselves really and asked ourselves, should we raise a Series B more funding and grow this? Or is there any other value already? 
And when we then started comparing notes with our quote unquote competitors and friends at Carvana, we realized that we had built something, some technology that Carvana really wanted and needed and had not yet started building. And so instead of just competing against them and, and running like these two separate businesses, we decided to sell the company to Carvana and bring the whole team and stay on for three years to build it out there. Right. So when you, when you read it from the outside, it looks like a super quick sale. What really happened was our business wasn't going to be as big as we wanted and needed it to be. Mm. And instead, the combined company with us going to Carvana, we basically joined this rocket ship that then took off and we were part of, which, is, which we are grateful for. Right. Wow. But, but still, it's, uh, it's an interesting story for several things. The first thing I see is that, you know, it's about people because you met this uh, professor who gave you your first 15,000. Yeah. But what, what is interesting also is that you did not have anything. He just gave you 50,000 because he believed in you. Yeah. That's very interesting because I talked to a lot of, of, of VCs and they say the same, you know, when it comes to startup, especially, we want to see if there is a story behind. We want to see if the team is committed. We want to see if, if you know, they're passionate about what, what they do before we invest. And that's exactly what your, I feel like your, the, the, your story is about. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I, I would argue we had sold 20 cars, but 20 is nothing, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so there's nothing. Now, what Andy saw, we talked about this after, he said, I saw two guys who are really willing and eager to roll up their sleeves. Hmm. They, would, they, would, they wouldn't mind spending very little money on themselves for a long time to figure out how to create value. They created value already by finding something. They'll learn, like the business will change a lot. So I won't ask him any questions about the business. All I care about is, do I think they'll try hard and try their hardest to figure out something that works? And so he, he answered that question with yes for himself. And that's why I invested. Um, now we are raising again for the new company we can talk about in a second. This time it's actually different because we have even less. Like back then we had sold cars and we had made a little bit of money and we had referrals. Mm -hmm. This time, and I'll walk you through the, the project of the idea in a second. But this time we left Carvana in June, so last month uh, or two months ago. And we we just had the conviction hey this is a business we want to build mm -hmm. and when we started talking to investors some gave us the feedback you haven't built anything yet so come back when you have built something but then the investor who bid and said i'm really interested in what you're doing said the idea that you have is an idea that i've wanted to explore um you've done this before mm. and yeah, you've been in the space for seven years. So if somebody takes this on and it happens to be in the same space, like you have this really, really huge unfair advantage. So I'll bet on that one. That's basically the bet the investors are doing, making this time because, because of these factors, not because of something we've built already. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So what's your, the new business about? <laughs> Segway. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let me provide a little context. So the, the new business is a digital platform to refinance auto loans. Right. But uh, in order to understand that, let me provide more context. When we were selling cars before we sold to Carvana, we noticed something that we didn't like about like tensions and, and behaviors we, we were starting to fall trap into. 
when when you buy a car in the US, most people get financing. Mm. And when you need financing, 80% of the people get the financing at the dealership. So if you're buying a car, you'll find a car, fall in love with the car, test drive it. Then you'll tell me, okay, I want to buy it. Oh, I need financing. As a dealer, you have access to hundreds of banks, but you don't show the customer all the terms. Instead, you'd pick the bank that pays you as the dealership the highest referral fee. Right. You don't pick the loan that pays the lowest rate or charges the lowest rate to the customer. So you have a huge information asymmetry there. And so mm. as a result, the second you as a customer drive off the, of the lot, you're already overpaying on your loan because the dealership mm. makes $1,500, $2,000 on it. So already in day one, you could just swap out of your existing loan into a better one and save money. Becomes even worse though, because if, if you're not prime, prime credit means you've always made your payments and you have a very low credit card and credit utilization. So if you're very credit worthy, that's where the market is very transparent and you know what rate you should get. If you don't have such a good credit, which the majority of like 70, 70% of the people in the SR stop prime, um, then you don't know what rate you should get. Mm. And if you make your payments, your credit score improves a lot. Credit score is how you, how banks basically, basically measure your credit worthiness. And so if you improve, improve your credit after 12, 18, 24 payments, you, you would qualify for a much lower rate than the one that you have, but nobody, nobody helps you get out of your existing loan into a new one. And, and for context, auto loans can have as high as 29% APR in the US. So these loans can be really predatory. You can be trapped forever in those wow. loans. And so we knew and saw these tensions and felt like this is a big area where, where the world just needs to be a little bit improved. And it's a space we understand. And so that's why we decided mm. to get into it. So you decided to, to get into into that, but it's a niche it's a niche market. Now you had the experience of setting up a company, selling yeah. it. You could have decided to take it easy, you know, and do something else, or maybe just take a break. But no, you go back into <laughs> setting up another company. Why? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're beating yourself up all the time. Um, so when we you laugh. So we ran the previous company for four years. Every founder will tell you he worked so hard. In our case, we, we had two problems. A, this was a very physical business because we were detailing and buying and selling cars. Although it was online, like there was a lot of physical operations. Mm -hmm. B, people buy cars on weekends. And so as a result, we just worked 24 seven for four years. There was also, right. I had visa issues, so I couldn't leave the US. Mm. Um, and as a result, we just worked Four years straight, we worked, oh, our friends said, you're crazy, stop this, this is not good. We were just so eager and, and felt so much urgency to make it work. And we're desperate because it wasn't working as we wanted to. We just ended up working four years straight. So mm. by the time we sold, we were really exhausted. And I told myself, I'll never do this again. This is just too painful. <laughs> okay. And then it, it, took, it took us like six months to quote unquote recover. We went from working seven days a week, 14 hours a day to well, only five days a week and more like eight to nine hours a day. Mm. Uh, we, we felt like we just got a second life back because all of a sudden we had all this free time. And so that felt great. Obviously, we recovered and then now my friends got married. I traveled a lot. But then after a year and a half, I was starting to feel the itch again and said, yeah, this, this was actually really fun. I mean, there's also good memories. Mm. Um, and so 
we 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 sat down my co-founder and i we said do we want to do this together again the answer was yes and then we deliberately said okay let's choose a space that we feel really passionate about something where we that we would do even if if we didn't pay ourselves and so ultimately what we're trying to do is we're you're trying to help people with bad credit who are stuck in really bad loans mm. and there's a lot of those in the US um and if you if you get people out of these bad loans you, you somehow do your part to to address income inequality in the US which is widening and widening and widening and so that, that's that's a completely different motivator than having equity in your company because you, you end up doing it for the right reasons for good reasons and so that's that's somewhat the driving force between what we're doing and behind what we're right. doing right now because it, it, it's just fun to help people right so i sense um that you're talking about purpose here but you or maybe having making an impact yeah yeah it's important because you you if you do it for the money you probably won't last long enough building a company takes 10 years not four because mm. <laughs> we like we went we went for four years and then struggled really if you succeed it's a struggle and then after 10 years you wake up you're like holy moly i just built a big company but it, it never felt like that sorry and so if you if you only do it for for the money you, you just you won't be tenacious enough you won't last long enough you, you really need to have a different motivator other than money for chris my co-founder it was cars he just loved being around these cars we mm. our office was in a big warehouse we had a bunch of rooms for software engineers designers in the call center and then if you went to the warehouse you would see all these really pretty cars i didn't care i thought they were pretty but chris found them really exciting Mm-hmm. And so for him going to an office where he's in an area and works on something that he really loves meant a lot to him. For me, I really enjoyed the problem we were working on. That said, the new problem we're working on, I enjoy even more because it's fintech, it's finance, it's, it's something that people that I understand that an average American struggles with a little bit. And so I, I feel a little bit a better fit for the new business than the old business to be honest. What are the key lessons that you have learned along the way? Yeah. Let's see. I think there's three key lessons. Number one, in order to start a company, like you can't overthink it. You just have to do something. Mm. When we sold our previous company, like we weren't even thinking about starting a company. We just started doing something. We sold our classmates cars and then all of a sudden the momentum came. The business will change anyway. Uh, the most important part is to get started. Otherwise, you start overthinking it. Mm. when you overthink it it's so easy to talk yourself out of starting the company so number one lesson number one is the don't overthink it just start something put something in front of customers and get the feedback number two is we there's like two fundamental fundamentally different approaches how to start a, start a company the one is very much like i just explained start something and then iterate mm-hmm. the other one is different the other one is slightly more high level where you have this this overarching goal i want to change how used cars are being sold and you have the strong conviction that used cars are sh- should be sold very differently for example mm. and then you just march with full confidence and then the world like then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy i don't actually think either of those are right in itself i think you need both and we had a little bit too little of the last part so we we always iterated and learned and learned and learned mm. but i don't think we had the strong north star we i don't think we knew exactly where we were going we were just learning trying to find value 
Right. Um, and so this time, as I said, like the, the, the mission here is we want to change. No, we want to, we want to help people get out of bad credit, give them money back and, and help address income inequality. So that's the overarching goal. And then tactically, we know what experience we need to run mm. and, in order to make progress. And so I think the combination is really important. And then the last part is you have to be very, very, very patient. These things just take so much longer than you think. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't be stuck on your initial idea. Like Allow surprises to happen and savor surprises. Uh, learn from them. And if you end up building a very different company than the one that you intended to, that's good. The founder of Slack, for example, the first company he started was a gaming company that didn't properly work. So he changed it and became Flickr. Mm. Uh, and then he started another gaming company that didn't work properly and that became Slack. And so every time he gets interviewed, he said, well, if I do this again, I'll, I hope I can make the gaming company work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, great insights. It's one, one thing that is uh, uh, interesting with your background. You, you said that you used to be on the German national golf team. I believe that was before you moved to the US. Yeah. How did that shape your entrepreneurship style? Obviously, I don't know because I don't have a good comparison. I don't, there's, there's no version with, without that experience of me mm. out there. I think golf teaches you two fundamentally different and important lessons. A, you, you just need to work really, really hard and disciplined. Mm. Golf is, is te- technically incredibly complicated. So if you get going, you just try to hit the ball, but then you realize the, the best way, the best players have a very, very repeatable, repeatable technique. And so the first five years or so, not consciously, but with hindsight, I spend on like getting the swing right, getting the technique right. And it's not something you learn overnight. It just takes really long. Mm. And you need to hit thousands and thousands of balls. There is this uh, book from Malcolm Gladwell. He says, in a nutshell, he says, if you want to become exceptional at something, it takes 10,000 hours. Yeah. I actually think this is incredibly true. And I wouldn't be surprised if I spend 10,000 hours hitting golf balls. Right. So it takes long and even a very disciplined and then once you get the technique right and like from a technique perspective, you're good. Then everything else is in your head. Like then, then whether or not you win a tournament or lose, make a good shot or bad shot is just your confidence and the extent to which you believe in yourself. Mm. And I think ultimately the goal you're setting. So if you're not setting a high enough goal, you risk achieving it. Mm. Versus if you set too high of a goal, you might miss it, but at least you try your hardest and you'll probably get much further. And so I think that's true for entrepreneurship too. If, if you, I think there's even a saying that the greatest danger is not to set a goal and reach it. But the greatest danger is to not set a high enough goal mm. and miss it. And so I think there's a truth to that. You just, you just need to really know where you want to go. You, you need to have a North Star. It needs to be almost impossible to reach. Because that brings you to to perform on a level that that's unprecedented. If that makes sense, right? I think it's Jim Jim Collins in a book uh, called From Good to Great. He talks about uh, the BHAG, the big hairy audacious goal. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is like like twenty five years down the line, and it's something exactly, yeah. like on top of the mountain. Yeah, 
And so that's obviously you can just say it. Yeah, I, this is my goal. But you need to somehow talk yourself into believing that this is an option. Like even mm-hmm. Elon Musk is obviously the best one. It's like, you know, no, yeah, I think you can build rockets and fly to like space. And I think you can build an electric car company that just takes over the world. And like he, when he thought it, there was a chance that he really believed there's a chance this could happen. Mm. Other people say, it, you know, let's just go to Mars, but they don't believe it when I say it. Like he actually believed it at the time. And so you need to, that only, has, so you can't talk yourself into believing something you don't believe. That needs to come from some insight or some understanding or some gut feeling you have. In golf, I started becoming better. And when I saw that if I put in more work, I would become better. I started believing that I could be really, really good because I saw like a function of more work better. And in our companies, like every time you talk to a customer, you help a customer and he's like happy and willing to refer, you actually start believing that your mission can come true. And so that's how you, I think, develop this, this VHAC, this incredibly unrealistic, but maybe, maybe realistic goal by just getting a lot of feedback and, and having other people tell you your story. Moving forward, what do you see are the biggest challenges ahead of you? Ahead of ourselves? Mm. Um, there's a number of tactical challenges. Like what we want to do is we basically want to build a marketplace. We don't want to be the lender ourselves for our business, but we want to work with existing lenders and so build a marketplace between the lenders and customers. Like tactically, there is a lot of nuances for that to work out well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but like if you take it a step back, the question really is how do you reach customers? How do you convince them that, that saving money and working and improving their credit is something that's meaningful to them. A lot of people in the US never receive any financial literacy training. So they, they don't understand their credit card and the implication of not paying their credit card very well. Right. And so we actually thought about building a business that helps people understand financial literacy. So they never end up in the situation of having bad credit and high interest rates. And that, that is very tricky because it feels based on like the outreach and the, the research quote unquote that we've done, it feels like people need to feel the pain first in order to like learn their lesson. Mm. And so you can't tell people, be careful when you use your credit card, don't buy this thing that you really want because you'll end up with a problem. People need to have gone through the pain of experienced a mistake, a financial mistake, and then learn from it. And so that's why our angle probably fits better. But overall, you really need to change behavior. You need to tell people, hey, it's, it's bad to have bad credit. And you, you don't want to have bad credit. Life can be so much better. Mm. And so I guess, because ultimately convincing people of, of working with us to help them do it is probably hard because it's a financial product. It needs a lot of education and, mm. and technology. You don't have the opportunity to educate a lot. People really need to pull it out of your hands because they understand what you have. And so we need to get to that place. I think those are the two biggest challenges. Right. And what's the big dream? The big dream. The big dream is to help people. Like there is, you, I'm not sure whether you've ever lived in the US, but if, and you also haven't ever sold cars to people, there's <laughs> a lot of people in the US living off of very, very little money. They need cars. Cars are expensive. Right. They spend more than their annual salary on a car through financing 
they sign up for loans that they can barely, barely pay, or if they make their loan payments, there's no money left to feed the kids and family. I make it sound very drastic, but it is pretty dramatic. Like there's a lot of people who don't make a lot of money and owe a lot. And so doing my part to helping and solving that problem would feel really, really good. You know, I often talk with uh, my clients and my, and my guests on the show about the purpose. Uh, start, start with why. I think this is what you're yep. talking about here. Yeah. That's your why. Yeah, super important. Mm. I think, like, like you mentioned, it, it really gives you a, a, di- a direction. Yeah, it does. Interestingly, I, I, I don't think it's bad to not have the why. So I wouldn't beat myself up. To, to not be thinking about the why at first, because mm. I was that very much. Like I was ambitious. I went to a good school in Germany and then I went to Stanford and, and I would be lying if I told you that I didn't do it for the money also. Mm. But it was really, really intriguing to also see a lot of successes. Like in, in the Bay Area in San Francisco, like in Germany, I've ne- I'd never met a billionaire before and thought there's only very few here. I, I meet them every day, it's crazy. And mm-hmm. so once you're so close, you're like, yeah, I want that too. So I don't, I, don't, I don't mind people thinking like that because I know I was that too. I just realized that if you think that way, you probably won't succeed in a startup because it's too hard. Mm. And ever since I feel like I have a mission, I go to work uh, with a much completely different energy. I think things that otherwise seemed impossible might actually be possible. So I'm more positive. And so it's the little things that drive you forward. But you really need to believe in it. That means you need to find something that you believe in. Mm. Earlier in the conversation, you were talking about fulfillment. Yeah. Is that, is that what you're saying here? But right now... Yeah, life, life, is, life is short. Yeah. Um, and then even when you see it, and like recently with, with this pandemic, like life, life is really fragile. And so if, if life, I think Steve Jobs said it in actually his Stanford speech, if knowing that your life might be over tomorrow is like the best motivator to do the right things, mm. which when we, we had really, really good jobs at Carvana, very high paying jobs. And then this crisis hit and people, everybody got nervous. And Chris and I said, yeah, life is too short. Like don't miss, don't ever miss a good crisis. Go out. This is a, an opportunity and B, you just, we just don't want this to be our last job. Like we want to do something new and feel fulfilled and, and like follow our dreams again. And so that's how what motivated us to make that decision to move on. I am hopeful for other people to find that too. Beautiful. Would would that be the the main recommendation you would give to entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you could just switch us up, switch it on, and say, okay, okay, oh, I care, really care about this problem. I want to solve that problem. Um, that would be great. I think it's a journey to get to what really what you really care about. Interestingly. And life asks you that question multiple times. You just don't realize. Mm. When when I applied to business school, Stanford's business school's main essay question. So when you apply, you you write these essay essays. The main question is uh, called "What matters to you and why?" That what matters to you most and why? Mm-hmm. And so I realized back then that I had troubles answering it. Like I felt like I need. I felt like there was an answer they wanted to hear. Um, and so I I wrote that essay. I think. I sh- if I read my essays now, I wouldn't have accepted myself. <laughs> um, but I like life asks you that question multiple times, and if you if you don't naturally have a good answer, then that means you just look. You continue looking, and so you're still on that journey. One day you'll find it, and it'll come really naturally. 
Yeah. I think you just need to be open-minded and curious and just wanting to learn more. At some point, you'll be like, holy fuck, this is a problem I want to solve. Yeah, exactly. That's a great coaching question, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure <laughs> giving an answer is equally hard. <laughs> it is. It is. It is very well. But like you said, it's, it's a question of purpose, really. Yeah. One question I, I would like to ask you, what is the biggest mistake you've ever made? So many. <laughs> <laughs> Pick one. Big um, one. If I took a step back, I probably mm. would say, if, if you think entrepreneurially and you, you, you want to run risk and, and have an impact, there's actually, you can't start too early. So when I graduated from college, I thought like I needed a job first. And so I looked at investment banking and consulting, thought that was boring. Then joined this, this company, a very young company that invested in renewable energy projects, went to mm. two years in India and China because that's where the projects were, then moved to the US and did the, the MBA. And so in reality, I'm very risk averse. It, it doesn't look like it from the outside, but like by the time I had, I had the courage to start a company, I'd, I'd been to one of the best schools in Germany, I'd, to, I'd been to one of the best business schools in the world. Mm. So my plan B was very, very good. Like I, I wouldn't had the startup not worked out. I would have had an incredibly good job, very high paying job because of my plan B. And so I personally, obviously, otherwise probably I wouldn't have done it. I needed that safety net. Right. People wouldn't say I'm like risk averse, but I internally, I, I realized that about myself. Had I started this company way earlier, I think I would have learned a lot. And right. I don't feel like I wasted my time because it, it, clearly it was important for me to create the safety net subconsciously. But had I started earlier, I would have learned more. I think I would have had a ton of fun doing it. Um, and so I don't think, I don't think you can start too early. Like there's nothing that any other job will teach you that makes you better as an entrepreneur, quite the contrary. When you're young, you're slightly ignorant. Ignorance is a bliss. Mm -hmm. You have, you're like slightly delusional that helps you to in their startup in some way. And so I think if, if you ask you the one thing, one big mistake, although I don't regret it, I think I could have started earlier and I think I would have learned a lot more quicker. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for your, for being so passionate. <laughs> I love talking to passionate entrepreneurs like, like yourself. Uh, thanks for having me, Laura. So how can people contact you? I think the best way is for, for them to just contact me on, on LinkedIn. Just look for Nicholas Hendricks and maybe you can put my LinkedIn link in, in the show notes. I, I really enjoy connecting with people. So if you have thoughts, ideas, want my feedback, I'm very big on giving feedback. I reach out if, if you have a good startup that I can invest in, reach out. <laughs> if you just want to run a few ideas by me, um, feel free to reach out and don't, don't hesitate. Like if, if you send me a message, I'll respond in minutes uh, and then I want to hear your story too. So yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way to contact me. Excellent. Thank you very much, Nicolas, for your time. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for my guest or for myself, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, Send an email to contact at lohanotam.com or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.